Welcome to Opus Private Clients Wealth Style Podcast. All of the material discussed on our podcasts have specific themes, and that's to move your wealth and lifestyle forward, increase your purpose, and provide you with clarity and confidence. Opus's mantra is always forward. We have found that regardless of one's wealth, moving your lifestyle forward is the number one priority for our clients. On our podcast, we'll share our rich 35 years of experience in designing strategies, share clients' experiences, and introduce resources that have positively impacted our clients. We trust that you will enjoy our direct, transparent, and realistic approach to positively impacting the quality of you and your family's lives. Now, on to the show. Hello and welcome to the Opus Wealth Style Podcast. We're here with another episode and I'm joined with our guest today, Scott Schumann. Scott, how are you doing today? I'm great, Evan. Thanks so much for having me. Awesome. Well, uh, Scott, I'll let you uh, introduce yourself in a moment, but uh, I believe you can correct me if I'm wrong, but uh, you're the COO of uh, the Sue Adler Keller Williams team. And the intention today is to talk about real estate, the real estate market, some dynamics that you're seeing, and just give our audience uh, just some insights and hopefully some actionable items that they can take away to help them in their in their lives. So uh, give us a little sense as to your practice and how you got into it and you know what, what yeah. you're uh, working with and seeing to these days. Sure. Yeah. Thanks for the intro. And it sounds like I came to the right podcast. I love talking about real estate. So excited about it. it. So we are, as you said, Sue other teams, Sue and I are, are business partners in the team. And uh, we have about 45 people between employees and, and agents, we call them agent partners. So between our agent partners and employees, we have about 45 people. Um, last year, we helped 325 families buy, sell, rent, or invest in real estate, pretty much all locally in Northern New Jersey. We cover Morris, Essex, Union, Somerset, Bergen counties in New Jersey, and really focusing on that train line, you know, commuters coming, what used to be commuters predominantly coming out mm-hmm. of the city. Um, now that kind of work from home, half and half, whatever they're doing situation. And that made us number one in, in the Garden State MLS by over $100 million. And, you know, certainly we've helped thousands of families over the past 14 or so years that I've been doing it. So a little bit about my background. <laughs> Oddly enough, when I was 15 years old and in high school, I, I thought real estate was cool. Everyone asked, well, why? Uh, and I honestly don't know the answer to that question. I It was probably the advent of million dollar listing or some real estate show that came out. <laughs> we're, all, and, we're all drawn to our calling for whatever reason. Uh, you know? I know. And, and I think, you know, I probably was sitting there watching it and, you know, seeing what these guys were doing, guys and girls were doing. And I thought, well, gosh, that guy just made a hundred thousand dollars and he sold one house. Like that's pretty good. I I could probably do that. Right. And, uh, you know, of course the glamor of TV was much different than the reality of, of what the profession is. And yet, you know, the, the, the draw to, uh, the entrepreneurial spirit of, of what you could build within the real estate industry was certainly appealing. So fast forward, I went on Amazon and uh, lucky for me, Gary Keller had written a book called uh, Millionaire Real Estate Agent and and also had written a book called Shift, which was talking about you know, how to succeed in the shifting real estate market. And uh, they sold them as a bundle pack at a discount, which was amazing. And so I bought both. You know, Here I am, a, a sophomore or junior in high school, and I bought the books and I read the book and Millionaire Real Estate Agent literally outlines in about 300 pages how to go from nothing to making a million dollars a year selling residential real estate. And I thought, Oh, I could do that. That sounds, that, yeah, this sounds fun. At the time, so I was, I'm originally from Massachusetts, uh, Bedford, Lexington, Concord area. And uh, my my dad was in life insurance. He worked for MetLife and he had gotten relocated to New Jersey. And so through that process, we had met Sue. And uh, my dad said, well, you know, hey, you're interested in real estate. Sue's a successful realtor. Send Sue an email, give Sue a call, see what, see what she can do. 
Uh, so I sent her an email with like 10 questions and I remember she called me on my house phone and <laughs> she was so gracious with her time. She gave me like an hour of her time and she went through all the questions and uh, her brother is in commercial real estate investing uh, on the West Coast. And so she was kind of like, hey, listen, anything you want to do with real estate, I, you know, residential, commercial, whatever you want to do, like use me as your resource and, and I'll try to guide you, help you connect with the right people. So I said, oh, that's awesome. My senior year of high school, we gotten uh, a business teacher. My my school had never had business classes, but we gotten a business teacher. And his big push for the for his first year was to do a senior internship program. And so the deal was that the last semester of of your senior year of high school, you got to go and do something in a profession you wanted to you know investigate. You had to write a paper and do a couple other things, but you also got to do all the fun senior activities. And I'm like, okay, that sounds awesome. And so long story short, I called Sue. I said, hey, would you want free labor? She said, absolutely. Yeah, why not? And my first job, uh, I joke, it, it's true though. I sat on an upside down five gallon paint bucket in what was our office three offices ago, uh, waiting for the fire inspector to come and, and approve the sprinkler system that had gotten installed. And uh, I remember going home that day. It was, by the way, this was like, I think it was the end of May or beginning of June. It was like a hundred degrees, no air conditioning. I remember I was just like, you know, it was just terrible. Mm -hmm. But I remember going home that day and thinking, wow, that was awesome. I loved that. That was the coolest <laughs> thing ever. And, uh, you know, fast forward that, that ended. And, you know, Sue said, well, if I pay you, will you stay? And I'm thinking, well, I was going to stay if it was, if I was working right. for free. So yeah, you want to pay me? Yeah. yeah, this is awesome. You know? Yeah. And I went to school at the university of Tampa and studied entrepreneurship. And uh, I worked briefly for a real estate team down in Tampa. Uh, this was 2010. Uh, it was really cool. And I, looking back now, it was really an instrumental part of my career learning process was you know, Tampa, Florida, 2010, uh, short sales, foreclosures, people walking away from their homes, like that was their market. And it just wasn't really our market. There's a little bit of it, but not so much. And so I was learning like, what a short sale was and how you worked with it. And, you know, you had seller buyers and sellers that came from a market where the average price was say $800,000. And I, I went to a market where the average price point was like $125,000, but mm -hmm. I learned a lot about how agents can um, provide value to the transaction and, and how we're really integral in the process of helping buyers and sellers transact, particularly in that time with, with foreclosures and short sales and mm -hmm. all that stuff. And then they had some big investment groups coming in. So I kind of learned that side of it. You know, it was early on when like a BlackRock or somebody was coming in and buying literal neighborhoods because they mm -hmm. were for sale, 50 cents on the dollar. <laughs> and long story short, I did, I've done, I've done basically everything, right? Um, mm -hmm. I've gone from the intern on the five upside down five gallon paint bucket to now, you know, partner and, and, uh, an owner in the business. And, you know, it's a, it's been an amazing journey and, you know, it's, it's super exciting to help families buy and sell real estate and create wealth generationally through real estate. That that's one of my big passions. I love it. I always love a good, uh, story on people finding their why, you know, why, yeah. why they do uh, what they yeah. do. But you I'm mentioned, uh, you mentioned the, the shifting market. So over the last couple of years, I guess it's uh, the start of 2024, as we're recording this, and obviously COVID have made it so that far less people are commuting into big cities, as well as high, higher interest rates than we had historically seen. So for Walk sure. me through what you've seen over the last few years, how the market is has shifting, and then maybe more recently, how people are kind of moving and responding to uh, the interest rates being where they are. Yeah, I mean that's kind of everyone's questions. All my buyers, all my sellers, all all our clients have the same kind of general question, and I, I think it's really important to kind of understand the the overall history. And so we 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 had we've had kind of actually a couple different shifts over the past four years. So 
obviously 2019 into 2020. What people forget is 2019 categorically prior to you know, recent history and recent booms in residential real estate. 2019 was a great real estate year. I mean, there were a lot of transactions happening. Uh, average price points were up. Average sell price ratios were up. Days on market were were kind of in check. The pretty balanced market. Buyers and sellers were transacting pretty readily. I mean, it was a good it was a good market. And going into 2020, we we were planning for more of the same. Uh, of course, COVID happened, and everyone said, "Uh oh, I don't know what's going to happen now." And it was definitely 60 days where we're sort of like. Do we all need to find a new profession? Like when when does this all turn around, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, by March ish, April, um, the world had had kind of figured itself out a little bit from you know kind of what people's next moves were going to be. And uh, luckily for residential suburban real estate, the move was we don't want to be urban, we want to be suburban. And so the mm-hmm. phone just started ringing off the hook, and that's the impetus, right? That was the initial how we got to where we are today is because of that initial mm-hmm. kind of boom moment, right? You had this prior to 2020 clients were staying urban longer. Mm-hmm. We were having families mm-hmm. choosing to stay in Jersey city, choosing to stay in New York city, choosing to stay in Brooklyn or whatever that metropolitan area is near you longer. They liked that lifestyle. They liked the the restaurants, the mm-hmm. nightlife, the, you know, there were more family-friendly, let's call it, uh, services being provided in those areas. And so we were kind of feeling like people that there was a migration, there was a shift in how people were migrating out of the city. It was coming later now, not as early as as we had seen it previously. Then COVID happens and all of a sudden everyone says, no, 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 we, we don't want to be in the city. And and even the people who had been in the city for 20 years said, no, 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 okay, we're, we're out of here. We don't want to be around this many people. We want to have the yard. We want to have the pool. We want to have the space. We want all of that. We need to work from home. We have a two bedroom apartment, two people working from home, two kids, like this just yeah. isn't going to work. Right. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, we got many of phone calls with screaming kids in the background and pe- parents being like, oh my gosh, we need to get, we need to get out of here. Find me a house today. Like whatever it costs, I'll buy it. But what happened was that drastically started to reduce and you, and you can kind of track it back to probably June of 2020. It starts to drastically reduce the amount of available inventory. So then what we had happened simultaneously was the people that were already living out here, we saw Western migration. So I'm, I'm in, I'm in Northern New Jersey. And so I'll use some of my towns, for example, um, any of the listeners know the towns, they'll, they'll, they'll be able to sort of geographically locate this, but we had people in Essex County. So, so say Milburn, Short Hills, Union County, Summit, uh, Morris County, Chatham, they were saying, Hey, we lived in these towns and we were paying a premium in purchase price as well as taxes because we needed that accessibility to the city. Mm -hmm. Well, now that we don't need that accessibility to the city, why don't we move further West, which makes it slightly less commutable, but gets us a lot more house for the dollar gets us a lower tax basis. Our kids are already in private school. Let's just say it's probably closer to their private schools. So we saw this kind of like double move. We had our city people coming out and moving to those, you know, Milburn, Short Hills, Chatham, Summit, uh, South Orange, Maplewood, Westfield, those towns. And then you had those residents, Madison, then you had those residents that were going, okay, now we have this availability to go to a Harding or a Mendham or a Chester or a Basking Ridge, Bernardsville area. And we can get so much more for for our dollar. And so that helped keep the inventory levels kind of in check, right? Because you had the the local selling and either downsizing, moving out of state or moving down the shore, wherever they were going, or they were moving kind of out of town and and going west to get more for their dollar. Mm -hmm. 
Then what happened, of course, is interest rates went up, right? Mm -hmm. And so as interest rates went up, it became less attractive for the local homeowner to sell, right? They couldn't they couldn't as readily go to Florida because they were kind of locked in at their low rate. And they're saying, well, it doesn't make sense to sell here and pay the mm -hmm. premium there and also pay a premium interest rate just doesn't make sense. And so that 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 happened, but demand didn't stop. So supply just dropped, right? Supply mm -hmm. stopped coming, demand kept coming. And ultimately what you end up having was, was where we are today. And so What's interesting is if you look at most of our local towns, we're down somewhere, depending upon the town, between 75 and 90 percent from 2019. Um, of, and so of transactions? Of available inventory. Of inventory. So transaction volume dropped off as well, not as drastically. And so what 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 it signifies is that the demand is there. It's simply just the supply that's causing this back. You say the supply off. drops 70 to 90 percent? Is that what you said? Yeah. Uh -huh. That's wild. It's crazy. It's crazy. And so people, we have clients that say, well, Scott, I want to buy this house, and but there's nothing for sale. There's mm -hmm. actually nothing. There's actually nothing for sale. Like that's the, that's the really tough part is, you know, there, there used to be like a, a great example. Short Hills right now has about 15 homes for sale in a normal January, 2019, 2018, mm -hmm. somewhere in the neighborhood of 120 to 140 wow. homes for sale. So, so that's going go to that's push the, the price up with the supply demand imbalance. Pushes the price up, reduces the amount of available inventory for people to see. And, you know, unfortunately only one family can buy one home. And so if there's one home in your price bracket available for sale and that sells, there's literally nothing available. And so mm -hmm. what it's actually started to do is fan out the buyer pool across more towns because you can't really just look in one town. Yeah. I mean, you can, but you need to kind of have a situation where you can look for a year or longer, yeah. right? Mm -hmm. So what you have now is a lot more cross shopping. People are considering three, four, five towns because that's going to give them a little bit more available inventory or they're realizing, hey, my, my dollar doesn't buy me what I wanted in the town I wanted. So I'm going to need to go in and kind of look at a, a, another town in order to get a little bit more value for my dollar. So, so the demand has stayed about steady even with interest rates going up. Is that mostly from for new buyers? Yeah. So, so here's what happened with interest rates. Interest rates were so low that we didn't realize it was a gift because we all kind of got used to it, right? We said, mm -hmm. well, money is free. <laughs> you know, money is so it, cheap. Yeah. This is this is great. And I think um, as a as a society, we all thought, okay, well, you know, the average rate on a 30-year mortgage is two and a half or three percent. And that's pretty good. I, I can do that, right? And then rates went to, you know, four and, and people started to say, oh, I don't know. And then went to five and I was like, oh my gosh, that's so expensive. And they got into the sixes and maybe even sevens. And and people started to say, well, gosh, I, I what I was able to afford. Uh, in the past, I, I can't now. And the problem was that pricing didn't change. So pricing continued to accelerate while, yeah. while interest rates also accelerated, making everything just globally more expensive. And so for about six months, there was a lot of confusion. You had a lot of buyers that, that were living in the rearview mirror. They wished that the market had been the way it was, or they wished they had bought that home a year ago, but, mm -hmm. but they hadn't. And you had new buyers coming in that kind of had heard this folklore of the 4%, the 3%, the 2%, but they were kind of living in, in the now and here and saying, well, I want a home and I need a home. And so they're, they're, they're six or 7%. It's what I got to pay and I'll refinance down the road. Mm -hmm. And so we're now in a place where, you know, interest rates have started to creep back a little bit. Um, so they're seeming cheaper than they, than they were, you know, they're off their all time, they're off their highs of the last, you know, 52 weeks, which is good. And so we're seeing buyers coming back into the marketplace, you know, old buyers that had thought it was too expensive are now re-engaging. You know, I think ultimately- What about sellers? Are, are you seeing sellers come back? 
Yeah. So, so, the, so just this year, your know, last year was, a, I, I, we had a lot of locked in sellers. We had a lot of people who said, you know, Scott, I can get a lot of money for my home, but where am I going to go? And right. I gotta, have this crazy interest buy. rate. I, 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 I'm not going to give this up and triple my mortgage payment. That's crazy. What are you talking about? Um, and that would, and rightfully so. I totally, I totally get that. I totally get that, that, that analysis. Um, and, and now what you're having happen is just this year alone, the first, the first week of the year, we got three specific phone calls that I'm thinking of where they, they didn't outright say it, but they had that tonality of, you know what, we're moving. Like we've kind of waited on the sideline long mm -hmm. enough. We get it. Interest rates aren't, aren't going to go back down to two or 3%. And at this point, we just need a bigger home. We, we got more kids. We got more stuff. We got three dogs. I don't know what you got, but we, we want it. You know, we want the new construction. We want the pool. We want to move towns. We want a different neighborhood. We want a blue house, not a white house. I don't know, whatever it is, right? People are kind of getting to that point where they're a little pent up. They're a little cooped up and they're saying, gosh, all right, at this point, we're, we're ready to make a move. And, you know, that's, of course, for the for the people who are fortunate enough to be able to afford that. We definitely yeah. have... You know, clients out there that that are locked in and and um, are going to need to do some other things in order to unlock themselves, and the market's going to have to do some things for them to make that next move. And a lot of those people are seeing doing construction. I, you know, my contractors are probably the busiest they've been in a very long time because the people who aren't moving are building. You know, right, I, I believe right. that as a society, we are improvers. Like, you know, we buy new cars, not because our old car broke down, but because we want the latest and greatest, right? Mm -hmm. We buy the new TV before the Super Bowl because gosh, 4k was the thing. And now 8k is the thing. Well, I got to have the 8k, right? Like it, it's, it, it's just our society does that. And and we have needs, you know, our families grow, our, our, our needs change and we have to change our homes to meet that. So the folks that aren't, aren't selling and, and moving, um, I, I see a lot of them doing additions, renovating kitchens, reconfiguring floor plans to make it work, finishing basements, attics, adding pools, that sort of thing. I mean, contractors are slammed right now with, with work, just modifying existing homes. What about, let's shift gears a little bit. The, yeah. the people that are willing to sell, what are best practices on what they should be looking at within their homes, what they should be doing, whether yeah. it's renovations or small stuff to, to help with the, the sale price? Yeah. So number one is find a trusted real estate advisor that you can meet with before you do anything. Mm -hmm. um, the, the clients that I see you know, they, they sort of like, it would, it would be like going to agree to getting surgery before you actually meet with a doctor. It's like, mm -hmm. don't spend money that you don't need to spend if it's not going to get you an ROI, right? So find a real estate uh, advisor that you trust and have them come in. It doesn't need to be perfect. It doesn't need to be clean. It's okay. We see houses in all different situations. I guarantee your home is not the worst we've seen. I <laughs> promise you it's not. And, and it's, and that's where we can have these conversations of, listen, some of my clients, it just makes sense to sell it as is. The land may be worth more than the home is. And I just say, hey, listen, don't spend a dime. Just live here, enjoy it. You know, if you want to sell now, five years from now, five months from now, five days from now, it doesn't matter. Whoever's going to buy it, it's going to buy it. They're going to renovate it, knock it down, do whatever with it. Don't touch it. If you're going to do something, do it for you, but don't do it for resale. Mm. Others, it's like, hey, you've renovated 99% of your home and this is the, you know, the ugly duckling bathroom. Like, okay, let's spend the money to do the bathroom because it'll just cohesively make it all finish and it's and it's money well spent. Or, hey, don't redo your kitchen, just paint the cabinets or switch out the countertop. So a great real estate agent, a great real estate advisor is gonna be able to give you the right steps to get your home ready for the market. What I see most of our clients needing is the following, decluttering, getting a, getting a plan ready to get rid of years of accumulated stuff. A lot of my clients have lived in their homes for 20, 30, 40 years. Mm -hmm. And, you know, their, their kids' bedrooms are still, you know, still have their 
art projects from, you know, kindergarten on their walls, right? And it's like, okay, we need to start combing through that stuff and deciding what goes where, what goes to storage, what gets donated, what gets thrown away, and kind of going through that cathartic process of getting the home ready for sale. I think that's step number one. Step number two is paint. Uh, the magic of paint is unbelievable. We can transform like literally any space that looks pretty ugly into like a, a showpiece with just a can of paint and some and some caulking and a, and a good you know contractor can do that very inexpensively and make it look great and, and mm -hmm. allow the buyers to envision what that space would look like for them. You know, removing heavy wallpaper, heavy drapery, you know, dirty blinds that need to be replaced, that sort of thing. I mean, just freshening it up is, is mm -hmm. a really inexpensive way to, to transform your home. And then staging. I mean, uh, you know, it's, it's staging, I think used to be a new concept. I don't think everyone's completely bought into it, but my gosh, we, we have seen the benefits of staging, you know, the ability to um, use your existing furniture as well as edit in new pieces or put on um, slip covers or change out artwork or just, you know, take down some artwork instead of having 10 pictures, you have five pictures um, that can make all the difference in the world. Again, you know, the goal of selling your home is allowing the buyer to envision themselves in yeah. your home and not them buy everything in your home, right? You're not selling your furniture with your home, you're selling the walls and the and the and the and the floor plan of your house, um, and that's what you really need to highlight. And so, I think those three kind of quick tips are are definitely helpful, great starting points for for potential sellers. I've definitely thought about this staging aspect. Like, what's I know it's it depends on every situation is different, but what what's like yeah. a reasonable range to spend on staging? And then yeah. I assume you only would only do that if you'd expect the sale price to go up by at least that much, right? And so, what's yeah. what, what's your experience there? Well, so I think staging is an investment in the property in in two factors. One is sale price and two is saleability. I think as 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 sellers, we often forget about the factor of time, right? And so the more appealing we can make it, not only is the purchase price going to go up, but the but the time in order to sell it is going to go down, which benefits you as the sellers, less holding costs, right? Mm -hmm. And so staging helps in both factors. I would say that you know I have I have people that stage themselves. They go to Home Goods, they go to uh, Marshalls, they go to Home Sense, whatever your local kind of cheap mm -hmm. knickknack place is, right? And they buy white linens and they buy towels and little you know bowl with with lemons in it, and you know they spend a weekend and they like it and they have fun and you know for three, four, five hundred bucks, they or if that their house looks beautiful and it's staged and it's ready to go. To people that have empty bedrooms and no furniture or very dated furniture that needs to kind of all be omitted and, and new furniture to come in. And that probably, you know, depending on the stage you're using and, and the size home you have, I mean, that could be $5,000 plus. I would say the average client is spending somewhere between, say, $2,000 and $3,500 on that home prep process, but they're getting it back tenfold, a hundredfold, a thousandfold. I mean, it just, it just totally transforms the showing, the showings on the home and the way that buyers look at the homes through that staging lens. Got it. And what if, uh, let's say you have a, a scenario, you got a, a client that maybe they did some work around the home and they didn't get the, the necessary or proper permits that they were supposed to. I'm asking for a friend, a mm. uh, friend of a friend. Yeah, of course. Uh, yeah, yeah, of course. You know, so, uh, this is being recorded, sure. but what, uh, how does that impact the sale? And and is there anything that you recommend there? Is it just a matter of, you know, if the market's hot, then you'll be okay. And if not, then you got to lower your price. Like what, what's your advice there? So, okay. So, so permits are, are, you know, a touchy subject. I mean, you, you really, before selling the home, you should really kind of double back and make sure your I's are dotted and your T's are crossed and whether or not that's working through, your building department at, at your at your town or through an attorney that can maybe advise you on something like that. 
uh, or through a real estate agent that, that kind of knows enough to get connected with the right people to give you the right answer to that. We've just seen too many things fall apart at the end over, you know, silly things that, you know, shouldn't have, shouldn't have held up a, a, a you know, a closing. So for, I'll, I'll share a great example. I, we had a house in a town by us and uh, we represent the listing. We, you know, we didn't sell them the home, but we represent the listing and they lived there for probably about 10 years. And the town came to do what's called the, the CO, which is the certificate of occupancy. Some have a CCU, which is um, certificate of continu continued use. Every town's going to have different nuances of how in depth they inspect or not. Uh, mm -hmm. This particular town was pretty in depth. They looked out in the backyard and they looked at their, you know, the town always, always has a record of everything, right? They have the, the a map of your home. They have what's mm -hmm. in your home. They, they look at old permits. When were things replaced? They, they kind of have a general sense of what's going on. Right. You look out into the yard and they said, where did that, uh, where'd that shed come from? Mm -hmm. And our owner was there and she said, Oh, I, I bought it at Lowe's or Home Depot, you know, and the, you know, eight years ago and they, you know, they put it back there. And he said, well, you know, that's good. He said, but uh, you had to get a permit to get the shed. <laughs> and, and the shed has to be six feet off your, your property line. That's a foot off your property line. Mm -hmm. And she's like, oh, okay. Like, you know, I, I didn't know. And he said, okay. He said, well, great. He said, well, I'll, I'll give you the CO as soon as you move your shed over five feet and, uh, and submit a, a survey with the shed drawn on it and all the, all the, proper, all the proper processes. So luckily the, the buyer was cool and we, we were able to make it all work. But that took three weeks to a find somebody to move an entire shed over five feet and then, you know, have it drawn and resubmitted and have everybody sign off on it. And so I'm such a proponent of, of, of bulletproofing the transaction up front. So if there's anything that you know about, or you're curious about, ask about it up front and let's make sure we deal with it. Um, one of the things that we're doing with, with our clients now is uh, we recommend they do what's called a pre-inspection. And so I have a home inspector come in and actually do, we call it a walk and talk. So he'll come, he'll, he or she will kind of come in and give you major bullet points. Like, gosh, did you know you had knob and tube wiring or, hey, your roof is leaking, right? I mean, how many, of, how many of us go into our attic once a week or once a month or once a quarter, right? I mean, many of us maybe only go up there to get down the holiday decorations and, and we don't look around all that much, right? We don't want to see the, the spiders hanging in the corner. Mm -hmm. When you go to sell your home, somebody's going to crawl through and, and, and look around and see everything. And what we found is when you know the issues up front, you're able to actually deal with them prior to putting your home on the market or disclose them as is. So that way it doesn't become an issue down the road mm -hmm. because the, the the thing that derails most transactions um, in a major way is when these unknown variables come up, the buyer is always going to bring in um, somebody who's going to give you, we call it the Rolls Royce of repairs, right? So if anybody's ever done construction on their home and you get three quotes, you know, there's always the high guy who wants, mm -hmm. you know, 10 times what it should cost, right? You have the middle guy who's probably the guy you should hire. And then you got the cheap guy who, you know, says he can do it for $5 and a stick of bubble gum. And you're like, I don't even know how that's possible, right? Mm -hmm. So you go with the middle guy. Well, what happens when you sell your home is the buyer always believes that the high guy is the actual cost, right? Mm -hmm. You say, well, no, that's not reasonable. This, my contractor or this contractor can do it for half of that or a third of that or a fourth of that, right? And ultimately the buyer says, well, that's well and good, but there's no way that somebody can do it for that cost when this guy's saying this is what it's needed. And that's where that, that mm -hmm. log jam happens. And so what we like to do is kind of alleviate as many unknown surprises up front. That way, you know, when you're in the transaction, you you know, you're pretty confident that the price you agree to the day you negotiate the contract is the price that's going to show up on the, on the closing documents the day you close. Got it. Well, that's helpful. Thank you. And I'm sure many of yeah. our audience would, will say the same, but um, in, in closing or before we wrap up anything, anything else you think, uh, you know, would be helpful for, to share with the audience, anything on your mind? 
Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, you're, you're in this advisory wealth creation space. And so yep. um, I think if we didn't take two minutes to talk about wealth creation through real estate, we, we, we'd be remiss. You know, one of the greatest gifts I think that, that you can create for yourself is, is holding real estate. You know, if you look at the folks out there who are the wealthiest in the world, many of them have significant real estate holdings and many of them are creating rental income off of them. Mm-hmm. And I think, what I what I what I'm very interested in is the recent market. And and if you kind of follow the path here, many people who bought their homes between say 2019 and, and 2022 own their homes cheaper than they could ever own them in the rest of their lifetime, right? They bought them at the right time in the market and they financed them with the right interest mm-hmm. rates, right? Mm-hmm. And so that means on a monthly basis, your cost to own that home is probably, I mean, I don't have a crystal ball, but it's probably the lowest it will ever be in your lifetime, mm-hmm. give or take, but but probably, right? Well, at the same time, rental rates right now are the highest they have probably ever been, right? And what that creates is the largest amount of delta between your cost and what you could rent your home for. And so what I'm a huge proponent of right now is, of course, you know, you have to be able to qualify to do this. But my um, sellers, my potential sellers who are thinking about upsizing or, or buying the bigger home or moving to a different town, I'm having conversations with them about holding on to their original asset. Why? Because they're owning something that has appreciation and is going to continue to appreciate while also throwing off massive cash flow. Now, if you're throwing off cash flow, what can you use that for? Well, of course, it's, it's income to you. But I also educate them on, well, let's think about this for a moment. Let's say you bought a home for $500,000 and you got a 3% mortgage rate on it. You owed taxes, insurance, everything. You owed somewhere in the neighborhood of twenty-five dollars to $2,600 a month, right? Mm-hmm. Well, because you bought it at the right time, at the right interest rate, of course. Well, let's say that home is now able to be rented for $4,500 or $4,700 a month. Well, that's a delta of, of two dollars to $2,300, right? That's profit above and beyond your mortgage payment. So what's mm-hmm. happening in this scenario is somebody else is paying for you to own the home. And on top of that, somebody else is on top of that, you're creating profit, right? Now with that profit, you can use that as a coupon, if you will, to your new home. And what I love to do is that quick math, right? So I'll say to my clients, hey, listen, I know you're going to buy this home and you're going to pay 6% interest rate on, on your bigger home, right? But what would your interest rate be if you subtracted the $2,000 in profit you're getting from your other home? In a lot of cases, they go, oh, it'd be like 3%. You know, it would be the equivalent right. of paying like 3%. And so for <laughs> a lot of my clients, it's an easy way for them to say, oh, that makes sense. Now, that's the kind of in the moment benefit. Long term, what you're doing is you're creating an asset that's obviously throwing off cash flow mm-hmm. long term. I think the I think there's this big misnomer out there about how complicated it is to be a landlord. I think if you have if you're resourceful and you have a, 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 a handyman and you're able to answer the phone every once in a while and deal with any issues that come up, I, I think being a landlord really isn't all that complicated. I I'm one. It's really not that complicated. Mm-hmm. And I think that at the end of the day, the the benefits are huge. You know, 15, 20, 30 years down the road, when this property is paid off, now you're throwing off $5,000 a month in income to you, or right. you have an asset that's worth a million dollars and that pays for college, that pays for retirement, mm-hmm. that pays for whatever, right? It's just such a great asset class that's diversified outside of the market yeah. that I think more and more people should be looking at and getting into versus saying, oh, that's that's a rich person's game or that's for people that only you know have 800 properties. Like I'm not that person. You can be that person. I think there's way more 
uh, folks out there that own one, two, three properties and just keep it small and lean and mean and live a very happy life with that versus mm -hmm. the ones that go out there and say, well, I'm going to become the next you know, tycoon and, and be the next Rockefeller. You could do that. But even if you just do one or two, I, I think you'd look back 10 years, five years and say, wow, that's one of the best things I've ever done. Absolutely. Love it. Got to start somewhere. Well, Scott, somewhere. this has and been awesome. I, I yeah. really appreciate it. How was how uh, the audience best able to uh, get in touch with you if they want some more of your wisdom? Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if it's wisdom, but I, de I definitely can talk about real estate. Uh, you can visit our website, suather.com, or you can always shoot me a note, uh, Scott, S-C-O-T-T, -T, at suather.com and uh, be happy to chat with anybody. Awesome. And I'm sure we'll have you on here again at some point in the future. So we love that. Thanks for, thanks for coming on to the audience. Thanks for listening and tuning in. Check us out on all of our channels, YouTube, Facebook. Give us a like, subscribe, five-star review. We certainly appreciate it and read every one of them. So until next time, have a good one. See you then. Thank you for listening to the Wealth Style Podcast. Click the subscribe button below to be notified when new episodes become available. This podcast is intended for general public use and for informational purposes only. Guest speakers and their firms are not affiliated with or endorsed by PAS, Guardian, or Opus Private Client, and opinions stated are their own. Guardian and its subsidiaries do not endorse or have any direct or indirect responsibility with respect real estate, home purchases, or sales. Yvonne Watanabe and Evan Wool are registered representatives and financial advisors of Park Avenue Securities, LLC, PAS. Securities products and advisory services offered through PAS member FINRA SIPC. Financial representatives, the Guardian Life Insurance Company of America, Guardian, New York, New York. PAS is a wholly owned subsidiary of Guardian. Opus Private Client LLC is not an affiliate or subsidiary of PAS or Guardian. Opus Private Client LLC is not registered in any state or with the U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission as a registered investment advisor. Yvonne's California Insurance License Number 0H44206. Evans California Insurance License Number 0H04936. Compliance Approval 2024-167265 expires January 2026.